Right, today's insight. A growing number of investigations are taking place into the country's gaming trusts, which are responsible for distributing millions of dollars of pokey money every year to community groups. The Serious Fraud Office is prosecuting cases totaling almost $2 million, and government officials have unearthed complex webs of deception and a raft of inflated expenses. Jill Bonnet looks at whether the bad apples can be thrown out or whether the whole system needs a radical overhaul. This is North Harbour Stadium, home to the North Harbour Rugby Union, celebrating its 25th anniversary. It's already received $93,000 this year for its amateur teams and community development from the Lion Foundation, one of the trusts which distributes gambling money to community groups. And North Harbour isn't alone in benefiting. Amateur sport, social welfare groups, support organisations, thousands of community groups around the country are funded by money from pokey machines. Pokies in bars and venues other than clubs and casinos generate around $850 million a year. A network of not-for-profit gaming trusts, which hold the licences for the machines, are responsible for distributing the cash. They can keep up to a third of the money to cover their costs and those of venues, including refurbishments. Another third goes into government coffers. The remainder, between $300 and $350 million a year, goes to community purposes. But the Department of Internal Affairs, which polices where the money goes, says some trusts, venues and even community groups are milking the system. Its Director of Gambling Compliance is Mike Hill. We're having problems with about 60% of the trust at licensing time. Some of them were dodgy, but others were just concerned about... They had this belief that they were commercial entities and they could act like commercial entities. And what that meant is that they were taking money that was due for the community and using it for entertainment lavish enhancement of pubs so that they probably bring pubs on board. And those sort of issues were just as serious about taking money from the community on an individual basis as some of the potentially larger rewards. Recent figures show the amount of money collected from pokies has fallen by $50 million from $900 million last year. The unscrupulous only need a tiny fraction of the $300 million handed out annually to really hit the jackpot. Nathan Guy has been the Minister of Internal Affairs for more than a year and on taking up the portfolio quickly saw how complex the questionable activities could be. Certainly there's some very convoluted spiderwebs, as I like to call them, that have been set up and the department is, I guess, smashing those things wide open. And, uh, of course, what you're seeing is a public reaction to this. The public don't like it, so it's very important that the sector cleans their act up. The former racing minister, Winston Peters, says he's well aware of the practices that go on. If you knew enough about the whole industry, you would have written rules to stop it happening. I'm talking to and, and referring to bureaucrats and others and politicians who have put their nose in without understanding anything about the whole operations. In fact, I doubt that they've ever been out after half past 11 at night and used a pokey machine. Go and ask some of the people who run pokey machines in industries where, you know, they have a disquiet about it themselves. But to be competitive, to keep their pubs and other operations going, that's become part and parcel of their economics. A lot of them don't like it, but to survive, they have to be part of it. The Problem Gambling Foundation has been detailing where the money goes and its chief executive, Graham Ramsey, sees the system as intrinsically flawed. Look, it is easy money. 
you know, you can wrap it up how you like, but the addiction here is the money. When you think of the size of the dollars that are involved, you know, $900 million in cash in a system that is absolutely open to be abused, it is absolutely no wonder that it is constantly abused. And as one gets exposed, it doesn't mean that we, we stop having rorts, it just means that we find that there are new rorts that develop or, or rorts that are a bit harder to see. The poker machine was introduced in the 1980s from Australia, where the proceeds go to the publican and where pokey became the snappier name. But here, Parliament insisted that the profits be instead paid out in grants to good causes. So while research shows only about 8% of the population use a pokey in a bar or pub, the 2003 Gambling Act means cash payouts drop into every community in the land, everything from the local sports team to ambulance cover to art and social services receive funding. All of the nearly 1,500 pokey venues nationwide belong to one of about 50 gaming trusts and every cent not returned to punters in winnings goes to that trust for banking and distribution. Graham Aitken of the Problem Gambling Foundation explains how the money is divided up. There's about 37% meant to be given out to the community groups, which incidentally includes the racing and the rugby and so on. And then there's about 33% goes in taxes, either as machine tax or GST mainly. So that leaves about 33% or something to run the trusts. We're talking in excess of $300 million to run those trusts. Now the machines apparently cost 25000 so that's one of their big outlays. But to run the trust, you know, you're running 50 trusts for a cost of $300 million? Uh, doesn't sound like a good business to me. The integrity of the banking system is ensured by electronic monitoring and other checks. It's through audit reports that Internal Affairs checks where the money then goes. Those reports, released under the Official Information Act, present a mixed picture. Some trusts succeed in minimising their costs and pay up to 65% of their proceeds in grants. Others fail to meet even the 37.12% minimum. The Community Gaming Association, which represents gaming trusts, says it's been advocating a clean-up of the sector for some time. Its chief executive is Francis Weavers. The regulator has brought considerable pressure to bear on the sector in terms of compliance requirements. A number of the operators in the sector have fallen short of those standards and are being held to account for that and are being sanctioned by the regulator as a result. Some cases have ended up in court. First Sovereign Trust is awaiting a verdict and its former chief executive, Kerry Bird, is due to stand trial later this year. The trust is alleged to have paid a grant to Waikato Racing Club for non-existent work and that money covered the refurbishment of the TAB area of a pokey venue. It declined to comment while the court cases were underway. The Producers' Trust says the Serious Fraud Office is investigating its former administrator, since sacked, in connection with a $100,000 grant destined for County's Monaco Institute of Rugby and Sport. The Trust says the money has since been recouped. Two other Serious Fraud Office cases, totalling $1.8 million, are both awaiting trial, though those defendants have interim name suppression. Historic cases include rugby star Doug Rollison, who was convicted of two fraud charges after he signed false invoices as chief executive of the North Harbour Rugby Union. 
The scam saw money flow to the union, while fellow former rugby star Brent Todd and his business partner received kickbacks. Internal Affairs Mike Hill says many other cases are ruled on by his department and can then be appealed to the Gambling Commission. The biggest rort that we've had is that either the venue operator or the grant recipient band together to try and capture grant money which should be going to the community. So there are a number of examples of that which we're working our way through. One of them was Northern Hospitality and the recent conditions we put on Lion, Perry and Infinity Foundation. That example, there was uh, substantial funds of money being going to Ford trotting clubs in Auckland and we put conditions on the societies that they couldn't give that money to the trotting clubs because we were concerned that the trotting clubs were reinvesting back in pubs through Northern Hospitality and they were capturing the grant process and we had a money around going. Those three societies have withdrawn their appeals the time has shown that without that money go around, Northern Hospitality has gone into receivership. Twenty of the venues have gone into receivership. And the contention of the department is that that money is community money and everyone should have a fair crack at it. And it doesn't work when you've got rorts like that going on. Internal Affairs also revealed this week that it's investigating grants from a gaming trust to southern racing clubs about possible conflicts of interest. The 2003 Gambling Act states that trusts can only cover actual, reasonable and necessary costs of their own societies and venues, and they have to minimise costs and maximise net proceeds. Those proceeds can only go to charitable purposes, non-commercial purposes that have community benefits or race meetings. The Lion Foundation, which is the country's biggest gaming trust, was censured for paying out $117,000 in the year to March last year on meetings with and entertainment of venue operators. It spent $27,000 on Warriors rugby tickets, the same amount on an event at Ellerslie Racing Club, and $51,000 went to the lobbying organisation Busby Ramshaw Grice. Internal Affairs says rebranding costs of nearly $1 million was also money that was lost to the community. The Lion Foundation has not been available for interview. A smaller trust, Q Sports Foundation, almost lost its licence, according to its audit report last year, because its directors were the same as Kiwi Community Trust, which had already lost its licence. Q Sports was giving grant money, almost half a million dollars in one year, to the New Zealand Valley Pool Association, which at the time operated three of the Trust's pokey venues, and one of the venues received grants to pay wages and other costs. The Trust has not commented, except to say that the issues are not current. Graham Aitken from the Problem Gambling Foundation says sometimes one good cause is being chosen over another for no good reason. You can get obvious things like North and South Trust where the three trustees are on the Auckland Rugby Union and they give out a grant of $1.5 million to the Auckland Rugby Union. You can trace that very easily. But if you think about a lot of other places where smaller grants, which don't attract so much attention, say $50,000, are being given to somebody who you're not quite sure why they should get it, uh, it's quite possible that if you are able to trace the relationships between owners and of pubs and people who are on trusts and the actual recipients, you'd find that there was an inappropriate or even illegal uh, key person relationship that's very difficult to find. North and South is now restructuring and its trustees are standing down. It's agreed a penalty of switching off its pokey machines for nine days for exceeding what internal affairs regard as reasonable expenses. 
Although the Gambling Act was brought in during a Labour government, the party's spokesperson on internal affairs, Chris Hipkins, now says the system has problems. The current arrangements create too many conflicts of interest. So we've seen money that should have gone to charitable purpose used for things like renovating a gaming machine room in a strip club to fund lavish lunches and hospitality. One of the worst examples was the poaching of venues from one trust to another and they were using the pokey machine proceeds in order to fund that kind of aggressive recruitment process. The roll call of trusts under scrutiny continues. The Trust's charitable foundation paid almost $480,000 to one of its trustees, a former member of the New Zealand Racing Board, to poach lucrative gambling venues from other trusts. When it appealed to the Gambling Commission, its penalty of having its machines turned off for two days was increased to six days. Southern Trust's venues were suspended for five days for spending $190,000 on four venues and paying $40,000 to secure agreements on two other venues. Each machine raises $120 a day on average, so any penalty that involves them being switched off means more potential loss in funding for the community, on top of that which may already have been lost because of the Trust's actions. And the trustees themselves have not faced censure, nor had to repay the cash. The Perry Foundation, which has since merged with the Lion Foundation, employed 17 business development officers to bring in more venues. It was advised to deregister as a charity, as its use of gaming proceeds was, according to Internal Affairs, neither entirely nor principally charitable. It also paid more than half a million dollars to Adastra, a charity that funds aspiring athletes, and Internal Affairs warned it to carefully consider the distinction between amateur and semi-professional sport. The Chief Executive of Sport and Recreation New Zealand, or SPARC, Peter Miskimmon, says he thinks money is not always funding what it's meant to. There is obviously always talk about money going to professional athletes. Under the Act, that can't happen. Uh, I think what a lot of sports, uh, they, they work their way around that by using the uh, discretionary income that they're able to get from spectator or, or commercial into paying their professional players and obviously then use uh, applications to gaming to fund the rest of their business. So indirectly, I guess, it cross-subsidises. Whether it goes directly to professional sport, I, I can't give you a sense of that. I, I, I don't know of where that directly happens, but I'm guessing it does uh, cross-subsidise into that. And that's not right. It should be for the, you know, as I said before, the broadest community good and at the lowest level of community as possible. Peter Miskimmon says some trusts are set up entirely to give grants to a particular cause and while that can be lawful, he feels it's wrong. There are a number of gaming trusts out there. We, we call them end-user trusts. Those are trusts that have been created for the sole purpose of collecting income through poking machines and, and distributing that, that out via that trust. There are a number of rugby clubs and um, lawn bowls outfits that have gone and brought pubs and gained access to poking machines for that purpose. I guess, again, I would say from a Spark perspective, we don't hold with the end-user trusts. They are a very narrow purpose. They put money directly back into that sport, not for a wider purpose. Then came Legaline, who's next, followed by coming into it, Lord Martua. Horse racing, and in particular the winner's purse or stake money, is one of the most contentious areas that the gaming trusts fund. About $20 million went to the racing industry in the year to last July, mostly to the 124 racing clubs operating then. The Māori MP, Te Ururoa Flavel, who's putting forward a member's bill on pokies, says funding stake money pushes cash out of poor communities and into the realms of well-heeled trainers and breeders. 
going to good causes, got no problems with, but if most of the money coming out of South Auckland goes to the racing uh, industry in Christchurch, we've got a problem with that. And if the benefits don't go back into that, that community, there's a clear um, deficiency there. Far better if people are going to be involved as we reduce the impact of this gambling on communities, that they at least have some decisions in, and that the money that they're making decisions over comes from their communities. The Racing Minister, John Carter, has recently called on racing to wean itself off pokey cash for prize money. The former Racing Minister, Winston Peters, is credited with getting stake money accepted into the 2003 Gambling Act as a lawful use of pokey funds. Mr Peters argues that the system distributes wealth unfairly. He says the money should go to causes close to pokey punters' hearts, and none is closer than gambling. You show me the democratic justification for taking money from a group of people who, by their investment in the pokies, obviously support gambling, and then having it spent in every other industry but a gambling-rated industry, such as horse racing, uh, which is uh, a massive economic investor in the New Zealand economy. Show me your justification for, as I say, the McCrammy underpants weaving society of Remuera to get this money, or Fendleton or um, Karori or some other place. There's no democracy or proximate fairness in this. Winston Peters says rumour and innuendo circle about grants to horse racing, but never hard facts. Andrew Brown, the chief executive of the New Zealand Racing Board, says the industry is developing a framework for the management of grants from gaming trusts to ensure distribution to the industry is beyond reproach but he says it's absolutely appropriate for racing to be a charitable purpose as clubs provide a valuable community service through their facilities and racing events. Winston Peters agrees that in many rural areas the racing club is sometimes the only event venue and the host of the most significant social day in the local calendar. You're just going to see a significant decline right across the country and many race clubs will collapse. And so a facility in a town like Take Dargable would be under far more stress than it currently is. And I want to remind you that, you know, these small settlements list amongst some of the assets of living in those areas the fact that they have a race meeting once or twice a year. If you're Tiarawa, you're Dargaval, small places around the country, uh, Otaki, this is one of the um, things they look forward to in every year. It's part of their culture. At the grassroots level, there are fears that some charities and community groups may have become as addicted to pokey money as the punters. Peter Muskimmon says Spark pays $100 million of government money to sport every year, compared to up to $170 million spent by gaming trusts on sport. The executive director at the Federation of Voluntary Welfare Organisations, Tina Reid, says the main problem for a lot of charities is simply the bureaucracy of applying for grants from so many different bodies with at least two quotes required for expenditure. She says they also have to apply in advance, but there's never a guarantee of long-term funds. Tina Reid says many charities refuse pokey machine money because of the ethical issues it raises, and others could be weaned off their dependence on such funds as the number of machines decreases. Time and planning would be required. With what we're seeing at the moment, with local authorities, by their policies, control the number of gaming machines in their territorial areas. And we're seeing a number of communities that are certainly limiting and reducing the cap on the numbers of machines in those areas. So we're seeing change over time. And I think we need to see more local communities need to debate through through their local councils about how much gambling they want to tolerate in their community. And so that we see understanding and perception changing 
and we see fundraising happening continue to happen other ways as it does now. But while the pokey money does still flow, there are calls to reform how it is distributed. Graham Aitken from the Problem Gambling Foundation would like to see a lottery-style distribution of funds where that function is separate from the collection of pokey money. Our reason for taking any kind of interest in this is that we're concerned about the harm they do. And this particular system has people acting as pushers of what some people have described as the crack cocaine of gambling, poker machines. So why would people want to put 20,000 of these machines in our communities? Because they're keen on helping out the local hospice? I think not. So we've got to take away that incentive of wanting to actually put a lot of these machines around so you can get money for your own pet thing that you want to fund. Māori MP Te Ororoa Flavel hopes his members' bill will abolish gaming trusts with money being distributed instead by special committees of local authorities. Someone who actually owns a bar has told me that they have been offered incentives to go with particular trusts in terms of um, operating machines and their establishments. Now, in that context, would incentives be, in your view, another word for bribes or would that be putting it too strongly? Um, <laughs> I think that might be... Well, you can't, you can't look at it any other way. Chris Hipkins, Labour's spokesperson on internal affairs, says there may be more cost-effective ways to distribute the pokey money. Are having all of these independent small pokey trusts the best way to do it, or is there some way that's more transparent and more accountable for us to dish out this money? And I think that's really the question that the government need to put their mind to. They also need to put their mind to the question of whether or not, in fact, we have too many different uh, granters and avenues for funding within the communities. And uh, you know, if you're a small club or a community group, you have to fill in multiple different grant applications. Actually, is there a way that we can streamline this, make this process much easier for people to apply to and get money out of, reduce the overhead costs involved so that actually the maximum amount of money is going back into local communities? Others believe tweaking the system is the way to go, rather than abolition. The Minister of Internal Affairs, Nathan Guy, says he's not convinced legislation is the answer, just compliance with the law as it stands. He says the recent crackdown on dodgy operators is starting to resonate with the industry. We've come through an opportunity of self-regulation. It's apparent in recent times that that isn't working. So what you're seeing now is the department officials coming down fairly hard on Class 4 operators. I think the fundamental thing here is this isn't the trust money, this is the community money. And the thing to keep in perspective here is there's 300 to $350 million that goes through to community purposes as a result of, of gambling. And in these particular times, what I'm very keen to see happen is that as much money as possible flows through to the community. The Revenue Minister, Peter Dunn, says the trusts are doing a good job overall and the Department of Internal Affairs is being too prescriptive about where grants can go. The Department of Internal Affairs needs to stop seeing this area, one, as a personal fiefdom on its behalf that it's got to somehow protect and rule, and two, as something to be defended against the rogues and the vagabonds and start to work more constructively with the groups to say, here's how we make this work. At the moment, their attitude is, this is what you can't do, rather than, here's how we make this work, here's how we facilitate community development, here's how we get cooperation and good responsibility. I know from a lot of discussions I've had with individual trusts that they are desperate for that sort of help, but they feel all the time they're up against this brick wall that says, no, you can't do that, no, you can't do this, no, here's another limitation. 
so they naturally just retract into their shells. Peter Dunn says that's made some trusts wary of giving money to anything other than registered charities, defeating the object of gaming proceeds being ploughed back into communities. He believes getting rid of the bad apples could be straightforward if the Gambling Commission drew up a blacklist of people who'd breached the rules. Winston Peters says the law needs reviewing, but urges caution. In certain industries, there is a certain slightly seamy, shady side to it. And anything to do with gambling has always had that. So don't think you're going to get heaven on earth with your new laws if that's your pleasure or desire. Even at the business end of the pokey operations, some want to see reform. Marco Management is an operations and advisory company for five trusts looking after venues, such as here at the Crown in Auckland's Point Chevalier. Marco was criticised in an internal affairs audit of their client, the North and South Trust, for taking a $10,000 finder's fee for new venues. But Marco's managing director, Ben Maris, says that was only payments for costs incurred in setting the venues up and that it was sanctioned by the department previously. He says there are about a 1,000 pages of guidelines and regulations and he thinks things need simplifying. I would move to a simple percentage-based system and that percentage-based system would simply say trusts, you've got this amount of percentage to operate, the venues, you get this percentage, uh, trusts, you may use this percentage for capital expense and that's it. And you'd largely then do away with a lot of the detailed requirements that we have in terms of complying, and I think it would actually drive the cost down. Ben Maris says management companies can provide a wide range of skills to smaller trusts to keep their costs low in a high-compliance environment. He says publicans choose the gaming trust their pokey money goes to and most just want it to go to local good causes. He says with 10% of pubs having closed in Auckland alone in the last 18 months, publicans are feeling the pinch and they need to cover their costs which are increasing as gambling revenues fall. The Community Gaming Association, which counts 16 gaming trusts as its members, says budgets will also get tighter when GST is increased later this year. Its chief executive, Francis Weavers, believes trusts are the right system and are good at putting money back into the local community. However, he says the integrity of the system depends on good regulators. You've got to actually rely on the probity of the people in the system and if people with the wrong intentions get in there and act in their own interests rather than in the interests of the community then I don't think there's any system in the world which can prevent them doing that for a period of time but what you need is good regulators and people who for the regulator have the skill sets etc to be able to identify that sort of stuff going on and to move on it quickly. Francis Weavers says Internal Affairs has been slow to act. The Director of Gambling Compliance at Internal Affairs, Mike Hill, rejects that and says the sector has fought the department all the way as it's moved away from education and persuasion to a more punitive approach. I don't think the legislation ever intended us to run the gambling operators and, and manage their affairs. And it's a bit unfortunate because the amount of money that's floating around that, that people have taking a different view about life, particularly those who have thought that are commercial entities and doing their own thing and can, can line their own pockets. Campaigners fear that if new legislation to abolish or fundamentally reform gaming trusts doesn't find government favour, simply tweaking the system 
or tightening up compliance action will be inadequate. And while the heyday of high-living hospitality for the industry may be coming to an end, with so many millions of dollars at stake, reformers say new ways to dodge the rules and hit the pokies jackpot will be quick to re-emerge.